0: Welcome to the Arena Declos Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And it's, uh, it's not a new year, but like new year, new us, I guess, something.
1: Just because you have a new microphone doesn't mean anything has really changed all that much in our world. What other things are, are creating this new us? I mean, you sound beautiful, rich, luscious. I'm sure everyone is enjoying that. Uh, but, but what else is new about us this week?
0: Well, before the show, you said that you could basically hear more of my voice, which I don't know is necessarily a good thing. So if people want me to go back to the old crappy mic, I absolutely can. The other thing is that this mic is not new. Uh, Mm, It's true. (laughs) It's about four years old and has been sitting in a closet after I got frustrated not being able to make it work. And I just moved into a new place out of my... It's not the worst place I've ever lived in, but it had some very particular quirks that were interesting, let's say. So I'm out of that hellscape, and now I'm into a new place, which already seems quite good. Not 100% perfect, but definitely a lot of really, really good stuff that I appreciate. So that's cool. And yeah, dude, I had enough energy to mess around with this mic again and actually try and get it to work. So
1: that's good, too. I'm very excited about it. Have you would you say that you've ever lived in a place that was perfect because I don't think I have. And I'm I'm just curious if that's a me thing. Like at some point when we moved into our new house, you know, we we'd get upset about various things because it's the first house we've ever owned. And at some point I was just like, look, it can't be perfect. We just have to appreciate the good things about it. And like, let the bad things go, or address them to the extent we can. But no house will ever be perfect, is what I came to in, as my end conclusion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's especially worse when you're talking about buying the house. Yeah, because you know? uh, then you're you're mostly just stuck with it. But like thinking back, there there was a place. Uh, I think the first place I lived in Indianapolis was actually pretty reasonable. I don't remember having having any complaints there. Then, for Seattle, when I was living by my, myself, I had an apartment, and that was good when it was just me. Okay. For a little bit, I had someone crashing there and it's like it, the, the place was not meant for two people, right? And then I had like a girlfriend living there for a while, and it was like, again, same sort of problem or just like this this place is just too small, you know. But for just me, when I didn't have any pets, it was it was pretty awesome like location was good, had everything I needed. Problem was, I I don't know, just like apartments, parking lots that's like not gated or whatever. It's like my car got broken into a few times, but whatever, you know, I think that mostly just happens. But I don't know. I I like those places. So I don't, I guess I wouldn't say that they're perfect, but at the time, I don't remember there being anything wrong with them. And I'm very critical. So
1: yeah, if I were to like give my closest answer, it would be the kind of, I don't know what else to call them other than like McMansions, like the big townhouse, but like multiply linked townhouse thing. Just like any any complex where you can rent something that's like above your typical block apartment kind of fits the bill. And I, I th- thinking about a couple of those I lived in where ostensibly the inside of the house was like pretty close to perfect, no real noticeable flaws. But at that point, the problem becomes you were attached to someone else, and like sharing a wall with a neighbor, or again the parking lot thing, was definitely something I experienced. So, those probably get closest, but still have that like huge major flaw that you can't escape. So maybe I just need to build a new house. Maybe that's the key.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of work.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mean me personally. <laughs> that would not, no, no, I but, promise that house would not come out good. But
0: yeah, of course. But even just thinking about. Yeah, what yeah. you want your house to look like and the layout and everything like that's a lot of work and then inevitably you're gonna mess something up or yeah. whoever is not gonna know that like you know you build it this way and then it's gonna have this problem or whatever you know?
1: and then you have nobody to blame that's the worst part about it like i just right. i can push all my problems on other people right now at that and, point it's solely my responsibility
0: and you're stuck with it and it you know it's your fault that would be the worst, but I i mean, maybe you gin it, you know, maybe you spend like years planning this thing. Like I've certainly been thinking about the things that I like and appreciate out of the places that I live in. And just one thing is just like easily accessible laundry. Like mm-hmm. don't make me like go downstairs to do laundry or whatever, because I'll never do it. Right. But this, the last place that I was, that I lived in, despite being a hellscape, had like a very open floor plan with some bedrooms. It was like kind of studio-ish, but with bedrooms, right? So then there was just a closet with laundry right next to my kitchen. And it was like, that's awesome.
1: Do you know what I think I want to live in? And I, it's very hard to test this theory because I've never actually seen it before. I think I just want to live in a giant glass cube in the woods, like just a huge cube, squares. I don't want anything inside of it. I just want it to be like a holding pen. That's a giant cube. I mean, I guess you could have like a bathroom. Uh, you generally don't want your bathroom out in the open, but everything else could just be this huge open space in a giant glass cube. I would like to try that.
0: I th- I think that's perfectly reasonable. I don't know. I mean, like you're you're married. I, I assume that at some point, you know, you're in another life, maybe streaming and making noise, and maybe she's playing music or watching TV or something, and maybe you want some sort of wall to separate the noise somehow, but I get yes. what you're saying. Like, yes. I, I don't understand the need for like all of these walls. And uh, it's just kind of nonsense when you're talking about, you know, a one or two bedroom place basically.
1: Yeah. As soon as you mentioned the noise thing, that was a very real and (laughs) obvious problem as I'm currently locked away in my office. And I I think my wife is on a call right now. So if it was not for the fact that we had rooms, it would be problematic. This is a very utopian world though, where I'm not worried about such small concerns and we're just free to live our life as we want.
0: Yeah. I'd be down for a cube, man. Cats, I I feel like, especially if it's just glass cube, the cats would love it. I would obviously try and get a bunch of platforms on there and Hope that they don't just get confused and hurt themselves. But, you know,
1: it'll be fine. Yeah, I, I think they would figure it out. I think it, a lot of it's going to be in the setup. You could have like a whole cat gym. Like if it's a tall enough cube, you could have like a cat gymnasium running overhead.
0: Oh, yeah, dude. That's the absolute dream.
1: That would be incredible.
0: I, I went to the gas station a couple nights ago and there was a stray cat. And I, it's it's really hard to say no, you know? Yeah, I feel uh, that. Yeah, as the person who still sends me pictures of... uh. Neighborhood cat resting peacefully on his pillows.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. We said we wouldn't let that cat inside anymore. It can't possibly be my cat.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Probably old pictures.
0: Well, we have a new Magic the Gathering set also. And normally, this would be about the time when we talk about standard and implications. Five set standard going into six set standard. I played a little bit of standard the last week. Did some deck building, some healthy exploration of the format. Went to check out good old twitch.tv to see who was streaming and what kind of standard ideas were out there. No one. Mm. Absolutely no one playing standard. Decent amount of limited. And obviously, you know, some pioneers some modern, whatever, right? And then you mentioned to me that there were some uh, events I don't know if it was like last weekend or whatever a couple weekends ago where the only events that were not firing were the standard events.
1: Yeah, it was it was this past weekend. Uh so coinciding with the Brothers War pre-release.
0: Okay. And I'm not going to say that's wrong, like it shouldn't be happening because it it makes total sense, right? When there is no push for these for this format to matter, for these events to matter, then no one is going to play it, right? Like standard was never really a format where you had your diehard players. And that was definitely modern. You know, it's like not even close to like modern PTQ season or whatever. And people are still playing modern weekly You're playing modern on Magic Online and whatnot. And Standard was just never like that. And especially with a lot of the problems over the last few years, those, those two things combined, I think, just kind of, I don't know, just obliterated the format. And are we just supposed to not talk about it at all, man? I don't know. I was building decks, playing games. It's
1: kind of fun. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I really do because it's it's so frustrating. And there's like this bigger problem that's coming to light with it. And that problem is are are these sets still being designed for? Like they are. They're still the the primary thing you're thinking about is how does this balance in standard? How does this affect the standard form? I mean, you're considering other things for sure. Magic has evolved beyond just like make a good standard metagame. See what see what happens beyond that. But for the longest time. I I know for a fact the approach was design good standard cards, let the eternal formats sort themselves out. Right. A hundred percent. That's how things were done. And then there was things like modern horizons, which broke that rule. You know, some say to the negative impact of the format, some say to the positive. I, I tend to lean like in the middle. I think it's got ups and downs as all things do. But if you're not designing these sets for standard, why do they exist? Like, Why are we, shouldn't everything be Modern Horizons level power if you're not making cards that have to fit into standard? Like, at some point, these sets are no longer serving anyone. And I think what has changed is that there's just a shit ton of Legends all over them. Like, all of the sets just absolutely lousy with Legends, and that's what's designed to sell them. And it kind of sucks, and I kind of hate it. But we, we just need a long-term plan, a long-term solution. Like, if you're going to get away from Standard, get away from it. Cut ties. If you're going to bring it back, you need to work to bring it back. And I don't even know that you can save Standard anymore. I think things are that dire that people just will not ever consent to that mode of buy-in again.
0: I, I think, yeah, kind of in along the same lines as what you're saying is maybe this the sets are, like, being designed for Standard, but like why like if you're not going to push events for it then then don't do it right yeah and i don't know you're you're talking about like why are they still being designed for standard why do they still look like this power level or whatever and honestly i don't think this was a thing that they planned on happening as of today right like it was probably not a thing that was planned like Certainly. Well, I
1: you saw, I don't know if you caught it on Twitter, but Aaron Forsyth Sythe was tweeting, why don't people like standard anymore? Of course, somebody posted the hot dog costume meme. <laughs> We're all looking for the guy who did this, which Lovely. like somewhat unfair, but like still very funny. And I enjoyed it. Y- yeah, I, I think you're right that they don't actually know the position of standard and they don't know how to fix it is, is the larger problem. And where does that leave the game Run at that point?
0: tournaments for the format.
1: Not an option. Sorry.
0: I mean, I guess I they did just do that for Worlds, right? So that is a thing. I, it is clear that, at least to some degree, they're trying to push it. But, like, why not try and make a concerted effort to have that be one of the formats for the the PPTQs.
1: They need to consolidate player bases. They need to get back to the idea of shared experiences. I mean, I'm fucking blue in the face. I've been saying this for years now. Like, have a PTQ season that is standard and you've probably fixed standard, to some extent, for some people. And, like, does that solve the broader problems? No, but you can build from that. If you don't have that foundation, you don't have anything. You have no grounds to stand on.
0: Uh, There's also... (laughs) Some other things that you've been saying for a while that have kind of rung true lately.
1: Mm. I guess yeah.
0: we we could just do entire shows about that stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, nobody wants to hear a show of I told you so. And look, I know what you're talking. You're talking about, like, basically Bank of America stuff and, and crypto to, and, and crypto. Sure. But t- to be honest, the Bank of America report is basically meaningless, and I say this as someone who was very involved with these industries for a long time. Its actual findings are irrelevant. The person writing it does not have the knowledge of the industry to actually reflect their sentiment. And there's a lot of people talking about, oh, they're saying, you know, they print too many cards and Bank of America is concerned because they're devaluing the secondary market. No, that's not what they're saying. They're talking about actual product fatigue, just they don't have the language to say that. They don't understand it well enough. And ultimately, what they say in this report Does not matter like their findings, their basis for it. It's irrelevant because the entire thing is a house of cards put together by people wearing a full clown suit all the time. And it's an absolute joke. And I know that from having been inside of it, but it doesn't matter because that joke still has weight. So as soon as you put something like that out there, it gains momentum. It gains following. It gains influence over your stock price, which influences your boss's opinion of your product, which now influences, you know, how hands on they're going to be and how much they're directing things. And it's this really big snowball. Again, I talked, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but I retweeted it on my Twitter account. Someone mentioned something called the trust thermocline, which I am a 100% believer in, where you just have the faith you have the engagement of your consumers and then you don't in the blink of an eye and i want you to go and look at this week's weekly magic and check out the youtube comments on that and you tell me if we've hit a trust thermocline because it is just a massacre out there everyone demanding why won't you address the fact that everyone wants you to print fewer cards and the response that Blake gave, and this is not to pick on Blake, because I, the one thing I come away from all this convinced is that dude deserves infinitely more money. I don't know what he's being paid. He deserves way more because the amount of bullshit he has to swallow that he is in no way responsible for. Right. Yeah. You, he's, could, he's you obviously could not pay me spot. to do that job. He's yeah, obviously
0: yeah, you, in a tough spot. Like Helen had to do the same stuff back in the day,
1: you know? I, I think his job is infinitely worse because it's just like Helen was dealing with like a vocal minority. He gets a vocal. Majority almost, and the access to like responses to him are it's way better than it was in Helen's day. Not not to minimize what she went through. I mean, she went through a lot of bullshit. But you just couldn't pay me enough to do that job. Like there is no theoretical number you can come back with where I would say, "Yep, I'll sign up for that." So give him more money. Uh, But it's just people yelling, "Why won't you address this elephant in the room?" And his response was something to the effect of, "Don't engage with the products you don't like." And then everyone in comments saying, okay, I don't like magic anymore. So I'm not, not going to engage with it. And like, yes, that is what you were headed to. But there's still time, I think, maybe to turn it around. Maybe not. The Trust Thermocline principle will tell you there actually is not time. We'll see. I don't I don't have answers. I'm Somebody like told me to hold off on taking my victory lap. If you think I'm taking a victory lap about
0: magic no, doing this, poorly.
1: This is depressing. It's, it's super depressing. It's the thing that I have tried to be loud and fight against for years now because I saw it coming, not because I wanted it to come. So it's, it's not a victory lap. It's a depression lap and trying to help people recognize how dire things are.
0: Obviously, there are a lot of factors involved. You know, pandemic is, is certainly one of them. And one could argue that uh, I, I should have been better at, like, adapting and changing with the times or whatever. But I'm making about a fifth of the amount of money that I made three years ago. Yeah. You know, so whatever I told you, so's we have, you know, it it doesn't feel that good. Trust me, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I had to jump ship to continue making a living doing this thing that I love. Right. It, right. it wasn't even a reality that I could stay invi- involved with magic anymore as my career. And that's that shit's depressing. I love magic. I and, want it to be great.
0: And let me tell you, it's not viable for me either. You know, I'm just yeah. I have yet to pick something else up. That is all. And in the meantime, yeah. I am. Spending more than I'm making by a fair amount.
1: So this is this is a fine moment to just point out the fact that here on the Arena Decklist Podcast, we've never picked up shady sponsors. We've never gone for the quick buck and tried to just jam ads down your throat for products that we may or may not believe in or you know don't do sufficient research on. So it's always been about Patreon for us. I like I said, I am I'm pretty good now. I've I've moved on to a new thing. My buddy Gerald out here still trying to make it work. How about checking out that Patreon page, supporting the Arena Decklist podcast? If you like what we do, we I mean, appreciate you.
0: Honestly, man, what I, I always like to do it in the reverse, which is give people the thing that they don't even necessarily know that they want. No, you're
1: right. That and is the in, correct way to do it. And that's how we built all of this, I think.
0: Right, and just provide value. Yeah. And then at some point, like, plug the Patreon or whatever. I'm still at the point where I am attempting to figure out what it is people will appreciate me doing. Yeah. And the only thing that I keep coming up with is just not involved with magic.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And
0: I'm just like, damn it. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to start over, you know? And it's like, I've been going through that process for about mm, a year and a half, like trying to think of what to do because, anything as far as like me getting involved in the commander space or whatever. It's like, it's not, if, it's not genuine. You right?
1: know, It, it, it just radiates disingenuousness and I see it all the time. And I, you know, we flirted with it and I think it wasn't that people necessarily didn't like brawl stuff, at least for me, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like genuine. It didn't feel like what I wanted to be doing. And, you know, as you look for your next thing, that's, that's the other thing too, right? Your next thing, the type of people we are is to be genuine, to do things we love. And I'm so fortunate to have found another game that I do have that true, real passion about. Until you find that, it's just, you know, it's a lost cause. You have to really just settle in and and figure out the thing that speaks to you.
0: Lost cause is an apt description of me currently. Yes, thank you.
1: (laughs) I I do believe you will find that thing eventually. I feel strongly about that. But, you know, you can't rush that process. You You have to find your passion.
0: Well, you can't rush it, and yet there's only so much time.
1: And so much money. Yes, that is that is how it works. Which is why a nice holdover would be to support the Arena Decklist podcast. I would say,
0: or not, whatever. I mean,
1: <laughs> whatever. Do what you want to do. What
0: What I would love is for people to be able to tell me what would actually be good, and you know, then maybe want to support it or whatever.
1: But well, it's hard because they're going to say things like sideboard guides, but like I, I nobody, know. nobody cares. Just um, nobody cares.
0: I'm I'm getting there.
1: Uh, okay, sorry.
0: Basically. Whenever I ask these questions, I have found that I do not get the right answers. And by that I mean like people will tell you what they think it is, they will tune into, and then they don't show up, right? Or they don't appreciate it as much as they said they would or or whatever. And that is what I meant earlier when I say like give people a thing they don't know that they want. Yeah. And that's basically it. So, like asking you directly, I'm sure that there are some people out there who can answer that, like truthfully and honestly. And it's not like people are being false about it. It's just like they they don't they don't know. They don't understand themselves well enough.
1: Right? Because the, the answer is not actually about what you the individual wants. It's about what you the collective wants. And you need to hit the broadest piece of the collective you can. And it just, you know, is there a group of people that had you devoted yourself tirelessly? to this pioneer format and gone down to the RC with the perfect deck list would have appreciated that would have supported that 100%. No,
0: it's like like, 100 people. (laughs) That was, that was my next point.
1: 100 people would be my guess and they would love it and appreciate it. It would mean so much to them. And that is, that is great, but that's not, that's not the market. Like you have to, you have to speak to more people than that, uh, to do it for a living anyway. And like, now I'm going to say the ecosystem word, but like when the ecosystem was in place, you could kind of count on that huge collective ending in the same place. When the shared experience was in place, you could count on a collective ending in the same space. So yes, maybe it's only you know a small niche population, but you've gotten them all to care about Pioneer at the exact same moment so the 2,000, 3,000 people can commit to that idea. Yeah. Without that shared experience, it just doesn't work.
0: Agreed. Also the experience is kind of medium. Uh, I'm not going to Atlanta, by the way. I'm just mm-hmm. not. The one thing that is kind of like pulling on me to go down is that my friend jake lives down there and then he told me uh he's qualified too right no i think like he won he won a badge okay but then he told me a couple days ago that he's not even going and he just like lives in the area so you know
1: Meh, it's, it's all very meh. Uh, it sounds like though they may announce some coverage either today or tomorrow for it, which is nice for this event that's going on in two days. But
0: that's that's good. But why would you do it the day before?
1: Good question, Gerald.
0: I, whatever, I I don't care. It, none of this matters anyway. Do you do you care about standard at all?
1: Like- I, ca- I care about these new cards. That's the problem. And, and, and <laughs> looping back around, it goes back to why standard matters. I want a home for these new cards. I want these new cards to matter to me because I think they're cool as hell. Like I was, I actually really enjoyed our show last week. I there were so many awesome cards to talk about, and I think like on the whole, this set is very good. But if there's not a standard to play them in, it doesn't fucking matter. Like there's maybe four cards seen playing Pioneer from this new set, so. I mean, and then obviously might
0: be, there might be a little bit more but there's there's nothing game breaking. It's like, oh, this right. is this is a nice upgrade. This is a nice thing here, nice tool or whatever. But yeah, it, ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't change the dramatic aspects of the format at all.
1: Right. So I to answer your question, I would love to hear about your experience with standard I guess in short form. I'm not sure anyone else really cares that much. Uh, but particularly if there's any new cards that have impressed or disappointed you thus far, that is that is still very interesting to me just on the basis of these being game pieces, much less than actually what's going to happen with Standard because, you know, I think the same 50 people will continue playing it on Magic Online and some faceless masses will continue to play it on Arena. Uh, but it's mostly just like, for them, the way I treat Marvel snap where like I have my Marvel snap cards and I play the deck I want and I don't take it all that seriously. And it's, it's a nice little diversion.
0: Yeah. I didn't actually build a complete version of this deck, but I did do a search for soldier and I, you know, put cards into deck on arena and then closed it. So, you know, maybe this is a reasonable approximation of a deck or whatever, but I highly doubt it. So, did a search for soldier, right? There's just a lot of soldiers. Hmm. There's just like a lot, a lot, but it does look like it was basically what I was talking about where it's like a bunch of, you know, two power white creatures and then no disruption. Yeah. Like you kind of have like your crypt breaker and a reasonable curve. I guess maybe there could be some, some better one drops, Uh, but you know, whatever, Uh, like things like protect the negotiators makes a soldier. You remember that card?
1: No, I do uh, not.
0: 1U instant, kick or dub. If it was kicked, make a 1-1 counter-target spell unless it's controller, pays one for each creature you control. Oh, okay. Yep. So, I don't know. Like Obviously, it's not good with Thalia, but it's kind of like a backup to the Thalia thing that also sort of works with your game plan and everything. So, I don't know. Whatever. I didn't actually play with that. It did not look good to me. Uh really hate the idea of spewing rare wild cards on very isolated decks, you know, like yeah, some random rare two drop soldiers. Like, nah, I'm not going to do that. The first deck that I actually did build and make tweaks to and craft things for. And also I didn't have to craft much because this is just kind of my wheelhouse and I sort of own everything is just like random blue, red spells pile. Mm, that nice. seems pretty good. So third path, iconoclast, obviously very good. Uh, you know small bonus upside of the one ones being artifacts, artifacts. so you can sack them to voltage surge and stuff like that obviously it's like pretty good with make disappear did and you then, did you play
1: Sahelius by any chance
0: uh so <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna maybe like this or hate this i don't know my top end is one Sahili, one jaya one leer one five drop to fairy love it okay and then, love uh, the spread uh this doesn't really count as top end, but maybe, you know, I have a couple of arcane proxies in there
1: too. Okay. What what's been your review on arcane proxy thus far? I,
0: I think it's solid. It's just dependent on the importance of the stuff that you are flashing back, right? Yeah. And in this deck, you have obviously just lots of good one-mana removal. And the two-mana removal is solid, but it's really questionable which ones you're supposed to be playing. You have fires of victory blittering bolt a braid i'm sure there's some other ones right and the way the deck is set up currently doing stuff like arcane proxy flashback my fires of victory doesn't really work because Mm. you just don't have a ton of cards in your hand uh you're very much just like a play my hand to the board kind of thing so uh stuff like that is sort of awkward and then a decent amount of my spell slots were also taken up by some counter magic so more cards that don't really work with proxy but overall i think the card is still good I even did stuff like play it, flashback, fading hope, bounce itself, just to make yeah. it. Open, you know, because I was like, I, I can't. My opponent's board is clear. This fading hope is useless because they're a control deck, and I can just play this now to get a one-one. I'm sure, whatever.
1: Yes, yeah, so my kind of that's my kind of magic right there.
0: Sahili works pretty well with Iconoclast. Also, I was originally. Pretty skeptical of not having enough artifacts to, you know, use Vasili, use the Voltage Surge. I think it's mostly fine. Like Lear, Fading Hope stuff is pretty nice. Pretty cool for a top end in kind of a tempo-y deck. I know that you've done stuff like that before. Mm. Jaya was actually not that bad. Now that you have this army in a can card to make the minus two actually do something. Yeah. And then Teferi is just awesome.
1: Do you think there is a home for Teferi that is more just like a Teferi deck rather than, oh, I have this Teferi at my top end?
0: Probably. I could see some green-blue ramp into it kind of thing or yep. just yep. using it in a control deck. That's certainly very reasonable. I don't know if there's like a white-blue mid-range kind of thing. Maybe you could do something along those lines or whatever. But yeah, I, I think the card is just like versatile and generally generally pretty solid, so... It would not surprise me if it shows up in a bunch of places.
1: I am very excited to hear that. I am quite fond of that card. So anything else you want to say about blue red? Because I, I really want to check in with the black cards, actually, and see. I don't yeah. know if you've played with them, but that's uh, that's kind of where my attention lied, especially given that black already felt like the best color in standard.
0: So this might not be the best implementation of this sort of thing, but you may remember that I played a black uh, more more of an aggro deck in the last qualifier thing.
1: Yep. Yep. I remember the list.
0: Okay. So I updated that mostly because I felt like a lot of the cards that I wanted to play from this set sort of fit that archetype better. Stuff like uh Transmogrants, Misery Shadow, even uh Flesh Gorger, just you know draining them. Obviously that that ability is much more impactful the more you're pressuring their life total. Right? Sure. So, uh, sort of updated that deck, and I mean it's it's good. Like it, at this point, you have really good options all up and down the curve. Uh, you get to do things like play, uh, go for the throat, infernal grasp mix. You have disfigures in the sideboard. Basically, like a lot of the kind of five set standard issues i had where i was like i don't have good options to get a little bit away from this sort of thing you know it's like now you just have options everywhere for whatever you want always and yeah i guess basically all the cards are rares too so yeah it's it's kind of got that going for it but again this is one of those things where i just owned most of the stuff already so not a big deal flesh gorgers and think i had like one of each transmogrant and misery shadow from doing some seals or whatever so it cost me like six wild cards so not that bad but yeah man just good stuff up and down the curve you have some disruption uh you have not really great comeback mechanisms you can play kind of a longer game with like shieldrid and underdog and you have a bunch of mana sinks with like misery shadows and stuff like that but if your opponent creates like an overwhelming board presence There's not a whole lot you can do, but the inverse is true also where you're good at creating those overwhelming board presences and there's not much that they can do. So I think most of the time you're getting it in good, but a lot of the times you lose do feel kind of helpless.
1: Interesting. Uh, A card that we like never mentioned in any of our discussion of the format, transmogrance crown. This is the two colorless artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero. Whenever equipped creature dies, draw a card. Equipped for two or equipped for one black. I need love for that in these type of setups. Like, I could see a world where you have these transmogrants, you have these underdogs, these things that are very, very disposable, but their bodies sort of don't hit that critical threshold where they can just be stonewalled by something like a shieldred, uh like a raffine. And if you look at something like Transmogrants Crown against these mid-range decks that want to just kind of grind you to dust, maybe that becomes really hard if you're able to combine your recursive threats alongside Transmogrants Crown.
0: I I think that works in like 2004 and not in 2022. Maybe like the, so the way the way the games play out or the the situations you find yourself in where you can't win aren't like oh i have a bunch of three power things and they have like a four toughness thing
1: yeah, or they, they have an entire battlefield of
0: yeah nonsense. like they yeah. they just like like you you missed a two drop they they bricked your one they killed your good three and now they're starting to like pull ahead with some card advantage and they're like going wide and it's just like oh i could like skull clamp my thing but you're sacrificing mana which means that you're sacrificing board presence because you could be spending that mana to actually develop your board and try and stay on parity with them or whatever you know it, it, the games just don't play out that way and it's never like oh if my thing had one more power i'd be able to attack through them or i just need a way to spend my mana because like i said you have you have sleeper i had the knight, knight of dust knight of shadows whatever it's called yes. uh Misery all the Shadow. Prototype
1: stuff, returning transmogra. I mean, there's literally yeah. like a, a scaling ability on every single card in the deck, basically.
0: Dude, up until like, I don't think the games went much longer than this, but like up until turn eight, I'm using my mana every single yep. turn and I'm that not makes sense. and I'm not investing anything to that. Like I'm not even playing like Bankbuster in my deck, right? And like Bankbuster is the ultimate way to do that kind of thing and have that set up. And you just don't need it because that's just what all your cards already have baked in. So
1: is that a good or a bad thing for the game?
0: I th- I think it's pretty terrible, honestly. Like yeah. games, games do kind of need to end. It is a, a fairly dramatic moment when you like run out of stuff to do. And then you have like that, that draw step to see if you hit like a land or a spe- and obviously like you draw the land and now you're just drawing dead and it feels bad or whatever, but it's way better than, playing something like Hearthstone or Shadowverse where, like, you just never run out of gas because you never draw lands, you know? Like, those games are frustrating in their own right because, like, you know your opponent's always going to peel. They're always going to have something. And I don't know, man. I I think that Magic was better when you had to, like, really scrape the bottom of the barrel to get ways to use your mana up until turn 8, you know? If if you felt like you really needed that in the matchup.
1: Yeah, and I I don't even think it was that long ago because you think back to... Uh, things like the double-faced lands, like the entire appeal of that was that you now had access to, like, I thought they would revolutionize the game. And I guess they like somewhat did if their conclusion is to lead to this point, but the idea that you just like always have it, you always have something to do. You both hit your land drops and use your mana efficiently was kind of revolutionary and not to say no deck had done it before, but it was, it was really pronounced in this instance. Like you were able to do it extremely reliably and now to just go, what are we, two and a half, three years later, where just every single card in the black aggro deck is basically a split card and can use your mana at multiple points in the curve and is always a mana sink. Uh, it's it's a little frustrating. It makes it a little too easy.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, even there, there's Bankbuster, right? Like any deck could play a card like that. And that has sort of been a consistent presence in Standard with like this and maze my tome treasure map like we yep. we've you've made those comparisons right and they are definitely different they kind of work better in different decks and stuff but ultimately they do kind of accomplish the same goal where it's like well if you tend to have some mana line around just play this colorless thing in your deck it'll it'll probably be better for you and it has been yeah so yeah, it, yeah it's it's just frustrating you know like i don't i don't want to play against people who always have like six cards in their hand or whatever it's just not I don't know. It's not very fun, I guess.
1: No, I, I agree 100%. And it's interesting that it's kind of a port over of the commander experience because in in the commander context, like, sure, one person may have used all their stuff, but there's X other people involved in the game, right? So yeah. you, you actually never are out of things happening, out of resources. And, you know, some sect of player base absolutely uh, loves and embraces that. But I, I do think it leaves certainly lower powered competitive formats like standard at a bit of a crossroads, another crossroads for standard, just because it really needed another one.
0: I think there's a happy medium. You know, I think that there is a place where yes, you have stuff to do. Maybe you get to play some Balaged recoveries in your deck or whatever. Right. But not every card should be a mana sink and not every land should have channel or be a creature land or whatever. And obviously that's hyperbolic, right? Like not every single card is like that, but like those are a lot of the cards that end up seeing play. And even looking at some of the other decks, a lot of the early drops that I have in some of these decks are things like Rafine's Informant that are just like fixing, smoothing
1: your draws. And, sure.
0: And things like that. Wedding Announcement can potentially draw you cards. and
1: Yeah, because if you if you play cards, you will eventually reach this power level, which is another reason like why we saw high land counts become the norm and why I still think, actually, I often see decks where I'm like, you should just be playing two more lands in this. There's no reason to mess with this. You will find a home for all of this mana, I promise.
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Other stuff I looked at is just... I like some Montoret aggro didn't really come to a consensus best list for that or anything because, again, there's a lot of options. Uh, I looked at some of the white mid-range stuff, but it looked mostly samey to what people were doing last format, beginning of last format, just with some new cards. So I didn't mess with yep. that too much. Yep. And then the thing that I think is maybe pretty good that someone who is not me will figure out because this is not exactly my wheelhouse. Like I I can see the pieces, but it's really hard for me to like actually put them together in a cohesive thing. And I ended up building like three different decks, but they're just like all these green cards that are pretty aggressively costed. Right. And a lot of them scale particularly well, uh, especially some of the one drops, like, you know, teething wormlet was the one that I definitely wanted. One of my decks had ascendant pack leader also, Sure. And then those are things that are both potentially modified. So then like Kodama of the North Tree, and then you have a lot of decent prototype things. And it looks like you can build either a beatdown deck that just like scales up to eight drops, which I think is awesome. Or you just do like full on very defensive rampy stuff with Karn, Living Legacy, and just, you know, whatever the hell you want, basically.
1: Yeah, and just hit that that massive endgame state uh, where you're just jamming these prototypes at full costs and getting getting your Titan Industries online, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, the green cards seem quite powerful. Yeah, and I am more inclined, which is weird for me, to think that ultimately they'll just be like a good beat down trending towards midrange deck. Like all the pieces seem there for that to just be really strong. You're just above curve all over the place. And again, your mana spends at every single point. You just have nothing but options, nothing but places to go ahead and put your mana into. And maybe it's more about finding the engine. You're missing the the great henge, Like that's the missing piece right now. And if you find that, then you just have this terror of a green deck.
0: So I think this was not very clear to me when I was actually playing games. And I think arena might do it in a weird way. where like, so when you when you prototype something, does it still have the big mana
1: cost, uh,
0: like on yes. the card in play?
1: I, I believe so.
0: That so uh, that's how I assumed it worked. I think Arena might show you differently or something. But basically, like I was building these decks after playing with my sealed decks and the Flesh Gorgers and stuff, and then going through the green cards, I was like, I wonder if there's uh, this prototype uh six mana thing cradle clear cutter it's six mana three six taps add G equal to its power and prototype two g for a one three so it's like a, a three mana thing that can tap for mana more mana if you have a good way to pump it. I didn't really find a good way but like if you can Vivian this thing away into a Titan of industry I like that's pretty good.
1: All right here's here's why I'm now questioning my assessment. So I'm I'm just reading the description of prototype. Prototype reads, you may cast the spell with different mana cost, color, and size. It keeps its abilities and types. So if the size remains different, like if it comes in as a 3-3 creature, then it follows from that that the mana cost should also remain different and the color should remain different.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I honestly don't know. I didn't actually play any games with this because I would have to craft way too many nonsense cards like Karn Living Legacy. So
1: yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my guess is that it takes on a new mana cost in play. Okay,
0: but... which I think is how Arena was displaying it. Okay, so that would make sense. But I didn't actually read the FAQ.
1: Yeah, me neither.
0: So all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna delete this deck, and then if it <laughs>
1: it's if, gone, that's if, it.
0: If it shows Oof. up, if it shows up later, someone breaks it. I mean, cool. You know, I was, I was almost there, but yeah, didn't actually put that into practice or, or Google search. It was was just one of those things where like, I saw it, didn't immediately think about it. Like I, I saw that it could possibly be a thing that works and then didn't have a reason to think that it didn't work and then built, built the thing. And then was like, does it wait, does this actually work? And yeah. And then I went to sleep because you know, it was 6am or whatever and I was tired. So
1: Uh, we've, we've all been there. I I have built entire decks that just don't function. So it, if you build enough decks, you'll it'll certainly go down that road at some point.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it was it would have been very easy to figure out. I just uh, just didn't, and then forgot about it. So I allow it. Cool. Well, regardless, even if that doesn't work, you know, I I think. Maybe the cradle thing is good if there's a good way to pump it. Uh, Another thing I I found was like Blanchwood Armor. You know, it's like Blanchwood Armor is in the set. Mm, And it's like, that's not a terrible card. And you have...
1: It's mattered before.
0: Yeah, you have Tamiyo safekeeping and stuff like that. And maybe putting Blanchwood Armor on my Mana Rampy thing is not a great plan because, I don't know, maybe you don't draw the Mana Rampy thing and you just have this Blanchwood Armor deck that's not really a beatdown deck. So... Whatever. But it's it's a thing. It's a possibility. I don't know. Or or just like playing actual beatdowns with Blanche armor and audacities and I don't know, tramplers, whatever.
1: It's it's interesting. I mean, it's a there's a lot of power wrapped up in an archetype that's like sort of maligned. You know, little kid green is always the moniker you hear used about it, but I it's just different now. I mean, these these scaling threats are are so so clean. They're so exactly what every deck 10 years ago would have flipped their shit over one of, and there's like 10 of them in every deck, so.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's an embarrassment of riches, too. Yep. There's, you know, Gala's Greeters, Queer and Beast uh the two-mana Land War loam Speaker, I think is the name of it, the yep. one-three mana creature that makes your lands three-threes. It's like, not all of those are making your deck, which is like kind of outrageous considering how good they are, especially if you're playing Kodama, you know? It's like, those are the perfect Kadama enablers and they're just like not good enough or whatever. You have better options.
1: Another weird spot for standard is like, why why make all these redundant options that can only match, like they're not good enough to push to older formats. So like if you're going to invest in all having all these redundant options, who are they for except people who want this type of deck building, these type of options?
0: Well, A, I like that type of deck building. Me too. Me too.
1: I think... But it you is- need a place to do it. Like, that's that's my whole point. You need, you need a standard format to do it in.
0: I think it's completely fine for Gala greeters to get released, someone to be excited for it, and then for them to print basically like an upgrade in the next set. Not saying that Beastcaller is an upgrade to it. I think that they're just good in different shells or whatever. I, I do agree with you that, like, yes, in theory, there should be some standard support behind this to actually make it so people are like, you know jam my wild cards on this two drop in set five and then jam my wild cards replacing that card in set six or whatever but arena just kind of like functions on its own you know it's like i was playing standard games and getting matches pretty close to you know like 20 to 30 seconds sometimes it went a little longer or whatever but i don't think it ever took more than a minute you know i mean there there are There are people playing standard and if not standard, um, maybe there are some people playing alchemy or whatever. I don't know. Uh,
1: I, I doubt that. I'm skeptical that those humans exist, but if they do, I hope they're having a great time.
0: Me too. So I agree. Yeah. More, more standard support probably makes sense, but at, at the same time trying to push everyone towards having more shared experience or there being like more kind of format diehard people, I think also makes sense. And then if it's getting to the point where, it's very clear that there's no coming back from this for standard, then we will start to see that like a year or two years down the line when they start mm-hmm. developing sets differently. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's you're not
0: going to see it immediately.
1: Yeah. that I was just going to say one of, one of the things that frustrates me the most working on the design side of things is that there's so much lag and like you learn something and you're like, shit, I really have to live with this thing I've learned and not be able to do anything with it for, a year
0: if you worked in digital if you worked in digital it'd be different
1: yeah yeah well that's that's another interesting point of it too is like the sensibilities of your players are also also warping towards the digital sensibility and yeah weekly patch notes so you need to somehow rear and what i try and do is just tell people like look every time i have a conversation with flesh and blood players i'm like look i hear it we i promise we were listening it just takes so much time. I'm so sorry. I want to do this thing for you now, and it's just going to take so much longer because their appetites are such that they expect instant results, and you just can't do that. There's no, there's no printing press that would allow you to adapt in that fashion. There's no release model that works like that, uh, and it's it's really hard. You have to, you have to command an incredible amount of trust and respect from your players to be able to get away with it. Trust and respect, Gerald. It turns out those things are critical. Who knew?
0: Had no idea. I was talking to someone about this the other day where the magic community, specifically, when I don't know, magic started being like a little bit more popular on Twitch, right? Hmm. And then there's the whole Twitch culture where if you were like a diehard PC gamer, you were already entrenched, right? I mean, you were watching like StarCraft or League of Legends there and watching streamers and understood that. Twitch subs were like an integral part of the process and the ecosystem and everything. But then say 2014, I'm, I'm streaming basically full time and have like a thousand viewers on the reg and have 40 Twitch subs. Yep. And magic uh, magic was just like, not that audience. Right. And now I think that, There's more of a mesh in between those audiences, right? It's just like, well, if you play Magic, you probably also play like Destiny or League or Fortnite or whatever, right? And you probably watch things that are not Magic on Twitch and YouTube and et cetera. Yeah,
1: where it was almost singular before.
0: Right. So now you have like that digital mentality when it comes to a paper game. And it's like, no, 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 you need to go back to how you were thinking about it a decade ago, at least for this thing, you know? Like, we we can't patch stuff in a week. It's just not doable. Like, we could just errata stuff all the time, but that seems like not a good solution.
1: And I will say some games do that. I actually heard that uh, Digimon, which was gaining a lot of popularity and, like, doing pretty well for a while, is running into a world where they're just having to errata everything. And, you know, that's its own huge set of problems.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know what the actual player base is like, but I imagine that it is a game designed for children or like marketed at children.
1: It it had a good competitive base building for a while, honestly.
0: Yeah, but was it comprised of like 12 year olds or like 30 year olds?
1: Uh, I would say like 22, 23 year olds, a lot of what I saw. This is anecdotal. So, yeah, that, that's yeah. even
0: weirder to me. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Whatever. Yeah, it's, it's tough to make a game for 10 year olds. And then also just be like, well, what the the card says isn't actually what it does. And you, you have to remember this, you know? Yeah. So yeah, slippery slope. I don't, I don't really like that solution. It, the best solution is just wait two years until the development cycle catches up.
1: A lot of patience, a lot of trust required for that.
0: Or find some weird way to fast track that process and make it so it doesn't lag as hard, but that will almost certainly come with its own set of issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think the realities of printing, especially these this day and age, make that extremely challenging. And I, I didn't know this until uh, I got more involved with that side of the process, but printing, printing's tough. It's really tough. You You need a ton of lead time. It's not as easy as you would think it is to get cards into people's hands.
0: And there's not, it, from what I can tell, there are not a lot of, places that are very good at doing it. Yep. And then on top of that, there are now just logistical and supply chain issues.
1: Yep. A ton still. of those a ton of demand for printing pre- press space at this moment. Like card games are very popular. Some of the infrastructure is not scaled as well. Um, you know, still a lot of the same people who are printing magic cards 25 years ago. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. One that I was not familiar with and uh, would have said some pretty silly ignorant things about in the past just because i didn't have the knowledge.
0: Oh, i could have i could have told you some stuff, for sure. Yep, i'm sure. I've i've heard some stories. Limited was pretty interesting. I actually liked it. Like I I'm
1: getting such mixed reviews on Limited. It's it's really all over the place.
0: Okay, so i'm not going to say the format is like balanced or good because i haven't played enough to actually know that yet. But in terms of scratching the itches that i need scratch it did a good job of that because there's a lot of like very tiny synergies and i don't know just artifact sets generally do that for me for some reason mm-hmm. i th- i yeah. think it's just it, there are more possibilities than just like a generic like okay here's you know five colors and you build a color pair and like that's it right uh and then a lot of the cards have modality which is also cool and you get to construct basically whatever game plan you want and if you are you know playing best of three or whatever it just kind of like multiplies from there where you get even more options depending on what your opponent's trying to do and everything i don't know it was it was fun uh for the short amount that i did get to play it i think i played through three seals and did a draft or something but yeah that's about it but I, i liked
1: it the the biggest beef that I've heard, and this is it's something I've seen presented as both a strength and a weakness of the format. I think you would see it as a strength, knowing how you think about limited formats, is these artifact cards, the the like the reprints, and how extremely game warping they can be. You know, it, I heard someone say like. Worm coil engine is the most benign thing you can lose to out of that artifact slot. And then there's just preposterous things that can happen. You can get, you know, sundering tightened out of the game or yeah, uh, just I, milled out very quickly.
0: I didn't know that those things existed. Okay. So okay. also, you know, when you open a sealed deck on arena, right? It's just like, yeah, you open your packs. It shows you six rares. Cool. When you open packs for this set, for whatever reason, they can't display all the rares. Cause Sometimes you can only
1: show six. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it says, it shows you six and then it says plus, plus one more or whatever. And it's like, why don't you just show me it instead of displaying that text?
1: Nah. And also,
0: also, why did you show me sort of the meek versus a card that's actually in the set?
1: (laughs) That is a very good question. I'm going to assume it's programming related with no knowledge of how that works. Right. yeah, yeah do, I,
0: it, it can't be a
1: purposeful decision, right? That's the only thing that doesn't correct. make sense. Yeah,
0: it, it was just like, uh, I, I, dude, I, I really... There are things about Arena where I'm just like, why? Why? And I'm, I'm just frustrated because it should not be like this. Like, it makes no sense for it to be like this. Hmm. And there had to have been, maybe not like gross oversight, but definitely like some amount of oversight to have a thing pop up like this where, you know, it shows you your rares plus one more. You have to go digging for it. Just come on. <laughs> like a better yeah. solution would have been just don't show me the rares, which I think would have been a fine way to do that in general.
1: Yeah. I, a fully fleshed out feature or, or a non fully fleshed out feature is better off just not being there. Right.
0: Yeah. Also when it's questionable, whether it should have been in there in the first place. Like sure. I, I understand that that is what most people do is like they go and look for the rares or whatever but it's like I don't care I need to look at the pool as a whole,
1: right? Yeah, and and you can't do that. There's there's no way to actually look at the whole pool on one screen, so No. Uh that was not important. Yeah. So, yeah, some some interesting decisions there.
0: Uh, and and okay, also one one last gripe, Elsewhere Flask is a card that you will usually end up playing and is absolutely miserable on arena because it Has you stop
1: Uh, priority thing? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I'm not saying that you shouldn't put it in that slot or whatever. Maybe you shouldn't have those cards be playable in limited. I I don't know because it doesn't seem like it's a thing that many people enjoy. But I don't know, man. Like there is there is a conscious effort for some people in the building to not design cards like that because they're a miserable experience on arena.
1: And yeah, it's, it's something that they were thinking about very carefully for a long time. We saw a lot of cards warp around that principle.
0: Right. So I don't want it to come to a point where it annoys me so much that I'm just like, all right, I'm not going to play this card because it just makes the whole thing less fun for me, even though yep. it's a card that would like definitely help my deck.
1: Similar problem with King Extra Large. Uh, same exact thing where you just constantly have that priority and it's super annoying. And I... I am shocked. Uh, they were so careful about that for a long period of time, and it, they just kind of seemingly took the brakes off, and I actually think it's a big deal for user experience. I am confident other games could work around it because I've seen it happen. They found good systems to work through those type of effects. That's all I'll say about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not flasking on my opponent's turn. I mean, it, it did come up when I got Sundering Titans and <laughs> I could have used the flask, uh, but how I was about the- how
1: about just like a little click box on the flask you can click on and off where it's either functional or not functional?
0: Yeah, just fu flask. I'm Pretty done. Easy. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, are you sure you want to only do this at sorcery speed or whatever? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's way better. I'll lose the extra land to sunrings. I don't care. Yep. But you know, then they would have to program a thing, uh, which they didn't do for the sealed deck opener. So unlikely.
1: Yeah unlikely indeed
0: anyway what uh, again ultimately end of the day like who cares right it's not it's not that big of a deal but it just doesn't have to exist so i don't get it
1: nor do i uh i hope some qol improvements come through it would be nice on the whole though positive experience with your brothers limited
0: yeah it was good uh limited was good limited was fun If I have a reason to keep playing, I will continue playing. I, you know, have no no gripes about it. But like a lot of the same stuff could be said about standard, where I I would need a reason. I would keep grinding, but if you don't give me a reason, then yeah, I'm not gonna and actual organized play is clearly not that reason because I'm not going to Atlanta despite being qualified. So I don't know.
1: Is there a shape of organized play that would do it for you? Like is it is it about do you just not care about organized play, or do you not care about organized play as it shaped presently?
0: Uh I mean, a lot of it has to do with like big crowds, no masks, and like me not wanting to kill sure.
1: anyone. So yeah.
0: I mean, that, that's that's basically it. Like, say say there was no pandemic, say it never happened or whatever. Like, I'd go. I'd be there. Even though I didn't care about the tournament, I have gone to several magic tournaments that I did not care about because it just hanging out, having a reason to get out of the house is good. And I could certainly use that, but I'm not going to like, you know, potentially endanger people to play in a magic tournament that I don't care
1: about. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And, uh, I, I wish that they would do the bare minimum. I, and it is the bare minimum and it's a small ask, but you know, people are just over it. It's frustrating.
0: Yep. I agree. Could talk about, Pioneer as, as a whole, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't have too much to say about pioneer, except I'm kind of going to say the same thing I've been saying for a long time. And that's that Lotus field is still very good, especially as the format warps around this idea that like mono green devotion is the only thing you have to account for. That matchup is medium. I mean, it's, it's not great. It's not miserable. I think it's kind of a, a toss up quite frankly. There's not a sideboard card out there for Lotus Field. I just don't see them. And it is starting to pick up results again. If I was playing the RC, that's that's what I would play. Maybe I'm just like predisposed to make that decision. But I do honestly still think it's a really good decision. And I kind of wonder, maybe this tournament isn't high level enough. Like if this was a pro tour, maybe I would make this claim more authorita- authoritatively. But I wonder if you remember the first Pioneer, whatever it was called. I don't even know what we were, set championship maybe it was called at that point.
0: No, it was f- it was Mythic Championship.
1: Was it a Mythic Championship in person?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay.
1: Okay. But basically what happened was like Lotus Field was known, not really being played, and then you got to the Mythic Championship and every single team landed on Lotus Field because it was just like by far the best choice. It crushed the tournament, did fantastic. If this was a pro toy level event, I actually think we could be headed to the same thing. Uh, now as it stands, I'm not sure that will be the case.
0: I'm I'm not sure that... The field is as ripe for it as uh, four months ago, six months ago. I think the format in general has sped up just a little bit. Part of that has been the decks that people are playing, but also just new cards getting printed and stuff like that. So yeah, there are no sideboard cards. That's definitely just going to be true, right? But I'm, I'm not sure if that is a big enough benefit and... You could be right about it. I don't know for sure. Much like everyone else, I've certainly not tested a whole lot with or against Lotus Field, right? So I, I don't know. But just from kind of eyeballing the format, it doesn't seem like a slam dunk to me. But it is it would definitely be the first thing to work out when I started testing. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. One thing I'll note, like you're right that the format has sped up. Lotus field hasn't actually sped up. It kind of doesn't work that way. It just like hits its fundamental turn and it is what it is. But it does hit that turn more reliably, and has fewer fizzle states. Which yes, it, it that,
0: won't that's, ma- definitely it, that's definitely it true. it. Won't
1: manifest in the same way as like being faster, but it does over time manifest to less of those games where you just like don't find the piece. You're like, oh, if I just had this card in my top four cards, I would win. The card's going to be there a lot more times now. It's basically the function of that. So.
0: Right. So I would say you're you're doing more turn fours. A fairly reliable turn five, at the very least, right? Yep. And like when you start going off, it's not as bad as it used to be. Where it was a lot of hope and pray before, but now you're you're just like so robust that it's very unlikely to just actually fizzle. So all of those things are good, but when more decks are able to goldfish you by turn four, then. Yep. You know, it's just like, am I, am I really going to bank on the die roll? Because it's not like you have a lot of ways to interact with them either.
1: Yeah, you're preying on those arboreal grazers. <laughs> you're like, come on, boys, let's do a little defense here. And that's that's about it. You need them to matter if you're going to slow anyone down at all.
0: Yeah, like your your interaction is praying that you draw the second grazer. Yep. Because they can probably pretty easily get through the first one.
1: Yep. And that's it's, true.
0: It's not a great place to be, you know.
1: You're, you're giving up some agency for sure.
0: Well, it's, it. it's not even that, though. It's not even like, oh, I'm, I'm giving up agency. It's just that, like, you're not a lock to kill on four. If, if you're a lock to kill on turn four, then it's like, yeah, sure. I'll I'll run that gambit because either you win the die roll or you play against a deck who's slightly slower than you, you know, then that's great. But when you're not a lock to kill on four and decks are pretty fast and you know, there's non-zero fizzle rate or someone having a sideboard card or whatever, then it's just like, it starts getting dicey.
1: Yeah. I, I guess what I would counter with that is my hope is that the evolution of the format. So like the people who take a step forward for this RC, it should be to get edge against mono green. If that step forward inherently slows down other clocks, then you can exploit that gap. Is that going to happen? I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's not the way you actually deal. Like, I don't know that slowing down against mono green actually does you that many favors. Right.
0: So. That's kind of the problem. Is like if everyone is gunning for mono green, I think usually the best way to do that is by speeding up. Yeah. And then if the format ends up being very fast as a result of that, then you're in a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's definitely a high variance choice. It it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. Or, and I'm looking forward to seeing the decks.
0: Or it's like humans you know like white black humans with a bunch of disruption or something you're mm. like well damn it like that is a you know you're a turn five deck now but you you're gonna play like three thought seasons per game or something or like two yeah. thoughts in a not great so a lot of a lot of problems to work through imo with that deck but you are you are definitely right where if you're looking for a thing to potentially spike the tournament that is a thing that you should absolutely work on thing that I was drawn to, in a similar way than you were, is like, obviously, the the greasefang decks have yeah. a, a very good optimal draw. And then I think a lot of people are frustrated by the other games. And their stuff doesn't come together. They get hit by disruption or whatever and are willing to just throw the deck in the garbage as a result. And I look at the upside and then what the potential downside is. And then all I see are like the ways that you can fix it.
1: No, I agree. I agree. I think that deck is underexplored. And it just sort of speaks to my theory of non-rotating formats in general. It's just like, find degeneracy. Because you can't weed it all out. It'll always be there. And sure, you can line up your deck to account for all forms of degeneracy. But for years and years, modern was just cycling through the correct non-interactive option on a week to week basis. And to some extent, Modern Horizons is what changed that because the spells became better at interacting with the linear things and the non-interactable things uh, sort of got a target drawn on them. A lot of it through things like the elementals. But I, I do think that Pioneer doesn't have that safety valve. And if it got to the place where it was just like, oh, what inherently broken combo do we play for this event? That would not shock me whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, if there was some sort of turn three or like a little bit more consistent turn three than Lotus Field type of thing and uh, usually you turn four and then if you make it to turn five, you're probably just going to lose because your your draw obviously didn't come together. I would yep. be more inclined to play a deck like that, I think. Something yep. that's like sure Storm or Beergy or whatever, just like a crappy combo deck, effectively. More of like the first modern Pro Tourer than anything, yep. right? Yep. But I, I don't know. I I don't know how many of those things exist or how good or stable they are, you know, which basically makes me think about the Grease Fang deck and how your optimal draws are very strong, very powerful, generally lights out against a lot of people. Although there are some decks where you do your thing and it, it they don't care, right? Uh, they they just untap and kill you or just ignore you yep. and whatever. But as far as like the graveyard hate and fighting through the interaction, it's like you're playing Abzan. Like certainly you can find a way to overcome this. And there's so many good options for things, you know, to, to be like an unlicensed hearst or a rest in peace or whatever that you're already playing, like Witherbloom command. Whereas like you wouldn't need much more help in order to just make those things completely a non-issue. And then if you're talking about like, oh, they're going to side in just like a ton of graveyard hate and thought seizes and creature removal or whatever. It's like, okay, then have some way to get card advantage or have a threat that doesn't get tagged by the removal spell and like find ways to side down on the combo. You know what I mean? And I was looking at a bunch of different configurations for that. And I found some stuff that I liked, but like never actually put it into practice or anything. so. It's almost
1: like birthing pod esque in that regard, right? Yeah, Like if you played a bunch of birthing pod, you just, you, it's not like you gave up on birthing pod, but you, you de emphasized it. You shifted away from it. And then you were just like an okay beatdown deck that had this backdoor combo if they didn't respect it. And that was often good enough. And I think that deck needs to figure out that plan for sideboard matchups.
0: Correct. And I, I, all it takes is one person to do it in order for everyone else to copy in it for it to become the norm, right? And you see, Shades of it showing up in deck lists, where someone will have the occasional like Tassiger main deck or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but nothing really to follow through with that out of the sideboard, which is kind of strange. Sometimes you see like some graveyard trespassers or Leon of the Veils or, or what have you, but no one has come up with an actual cohesive plan. And once that person does that is the de facto list that everyone is going to be playing. And then whenever you play against that deck, it is going to become sort of the guessing game of like, well, are they, are they sticking with the combo? Do I even want to board in rest in peace or whatever?
1: It's a good question. And I, I think we'll see that evolve and maybe at this event.
0: And uh, yeah, but like part of the reason I was more drawn to this than anything else is that all of the other decks in pioneer are kind of playing face up and you know what they're capable of and there's not a whole lot that they can do to trick you or fundamentally alter any matchups or anything. You know, if you show up with Mono Green, it just, it is the same thing as like what everyone else is doing. It's just like, okay, you have like some Sky Sovereign's made or in the board or whatever, right? But like, you know what they are able to get up to in any given game. But Grease Fang is the one deck where, They may have even tested against you and they may have had the sideboard cards for you and they may think that they have a good matchup, but like it is the one deck that you can actually change that with how you build your deck. So, in a a tournament like this, where you're certainly looking for any edge that you can get and the quality of player is going to be quite high, being able to explore something like that to get you those percentage points is just massive, right? They're like there, and there's no other deck in the format I can think of that is able to do that except for like maybe the fires decks that kind of came out like a little bit later and are still figuring themselves out too.
1: I, I was going to say enigmatic incarnation is the other one that comes to mind where you could yeah. maybe look at something like that. But I I, I think for I the think most deck's part a bit too slow right now.
0: Yeah, th- that's definitely true. And I think that, yeah, you can change cards in the deck to like do different things, but like mostly you're doing the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, they're, I don't know. There's gotta again, a birthing pod type setup. When you have cards like Urian, some type of way to just like curve into Urian and leverage that is enticing. But of course you're playing 80 cards in that scenario. So maybe not more easily said than done.
0: Yeah. So I th- I think that there is a possibility for people who have have you know put in the hours, done the work to show up with something that does. Fundamentally alter, pioneer going forward, and I'm excited for that. I want to, I want to see like the innovation and the change and everything, and I, I'm just hoping that it actually does happen. I'm hoping that basically like all the deck lists get published. I think that that would be great. That would be nice, good for the format to maybe move it along forward because we've been kind of stuck in the same spot for a little bit. Uh, obviously, the new sets coming out help a little bit. Fires being. Brought back from the dead helps a little bit and everything, but there's there's small changes. You know what I mean? We don't want people complaining about mono green for a year.
1: Uh, I agree. And I actually will also say that I'm not even sure mono green is like oppressively good. I think it's just miserable to play against. Like it's yeah. an absolutely miserable experience. Yeah. And that weighs into it so much. Like, in fact, if I look through the most recent challenge, and this challenge is uh before the release of Brothers, I'm I'm a scroll in here. Looks like 16th place is the first instance of mono green.
0: Yeah, this this happened before, though. This happened before where it was, like... Oh, for sure. All over the place for a couple weeks. I don't want to
1: discount the deck for one second. I think it is the most, like, linear, consistently powerful, stupid thing you can do in Pioneer. Uh, it It is annoying. It is frustrating to play against. And the format would probably be better without it. I don't know if we can move it through metagaming, but it doesn't hurt to try. And I think, like you know, again, Pioneer has to establish an identity. It's in a format where bands happen all the time and fix things. Is it something akin to the old magic experience where bands are a last resort and the format is just supposed to be slow and supposed to churn a little bit? And is the current audience for the format receptive to that kind of pacing? Do they trust you to eventually figure things out, to focus on Pioneer, to give it the love it needs through printings? Probably not, is my answer to that. There probably is not the trust there. So we'll see. We'll see what happens at this RC and whether it... Demands some kind of action on this deck.
0: Yeah, I agree. The trust is not there, but if the player base is happy to continue the playing, the playing the format as is, I think that's all that matters, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Looks like the second most popular format now, Uh, the competitive format. Anyway, commander, of course, being first modern second, I would put pioneer third. So
0: yeah, I'm not even sure modern second. I'm sure that there's something else that I'm not thinking of,
1: like a a non commander commander format. Yeah, Yeah, probably. Uh, Yeah, could be
0: and maybe it's alchemy who knows yeah just do do whatever the player base wants at this point you know i mean i know that wizards has taken their stance on the dell spells being legal treasure cruise and dig through time and that is one of the things that gives pioneer a unique identity i think it is fine for pioneer to have a unique identity like that's a noble goal but it is really weird looking at treasure cruise and nycthos and then expecting people to play with like grizzly bear human or whatever you know and there, there's it's only a matter of time before those cards start looking way way better than everything else
1: yeah no fair enough
0: so I don't know I don't know if this is a thing that has life long term and if it doesn't then you should probably get rid of it sooner rather than later but kind of in the same way with like brainstorm and legacy you know it's like well if the if the pioneer players do actually like Nickthos or they don't care then keep it around you know do do whatever is good for the players like in the players eyes right and not necessarily like what you think is best
1: yep because yep.
0: yeah like they're, they're the audience they're the market
1: yeah it, it, it's tough i my my solution would be to take mono green down a peg because i don't want to invalidate the people who have bought in and i Unfortunately that sucks because the the problem is Nick those, so it's not anything else. And you can't take away like old growth troll and think you've actually <laughs> managed the format in an effective way. I mean, like, could you get away with Karn? Probably not. You probably kill the deck in that scenario too. But well, I'd, I'd at least look at that. I
0: mean the Devo portion of it is good, but yeah, you might invalidate so many cards by removing Karn. Like what, what is the best version of Devo look like that doesn't have Karn in it? I mean, it,
1: maybe like Vivian based. Probably. Yeah, yeah,
0: Like it probably doesn't have like Cavalier of Thorns and, and stuff like that. Right. Like you, you would change like 20 cards in the deck probably. Yeah. Which is not ideal. And no, it's not, you know, maybe, maybe Cavalier of Thorns didn't cost them a bunch, but like say you're making them change out 20 rares. I mean that that's a big cost.
1: Yeah. It, it's tough. It is tough. You have to be conscientious of that with these formats.
0: Uh, how do you feel uh, about the people who didn't buy in, but now have a playset of Nykthoses via playing RCQs?
1: That's another reason why you're kind of incentivized to keep it around. All these things matter a lot. And every single, you know, having been having been involved with multiple list decisions now and weighing all the factors very, very carefully, no matter how careful you are about it, how much you work to hit the least valuable card and only degrade the deck a little bit and still leave it as a viable option. Somebody will tell you they're quitting the game because of it at just 100% of the time. And they, they will, some people will follow through with that. Absolutely. The, the question is
0: empty threats.
1: Yeah. Mo- mostly some people will do it, but like ultimately you can't please everyone and you just have to ask, like, how do you please the most people? Uh, and, how often are you going to be putting people through this grinder? How often are you going to be invalidating their entire purchase? And I think, you know, here you're talking about just erasing $400 worth of value overnight from people. And that's a big deal. I would not take that lightly. So tough call.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, If there is a thing that you could do to slightly weaken the deck, I think that that is a, a much better plan. But in terms of, like Nykthos in general, it's it's a scary card to have legal.
1: Yeah, you might be stuck though at this point. It's my read on it.
0: Well, then <laughs> standard sets better get uh, pretty powerful. They better stop being standard sets.
1: We just got a second Field of Ruin. What do you want, Gerald? Oh, it's it's under control. Problem is solved.
0: You can play so many Field of Ruin's now. You're right. Got him. Uh, anything else? Anything else we want to talk about?
1: New Flesh and Blood set came out this week. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, Dynasty released. That was the first set I worked on, and uh, reviews have been good. I'm very happy with it. I hope people are enjoying the Assassin class, which was kind of my baby. Yeah, it's going very well.
0: Yeah. Very wh- well. How How have you felt about the reception? Like, I know whenever we get a nice email and I forward it to you, we both just kind of like take a moment to like awe over it, you know? Yep. And... Maybe maybe it doesn't necessarily like make our day or whatever because we have short memories and attention spans. But you know, definitely for like a few hours, we feel pretty good as a result of like that thing, right? So like, how is creating a thing and putting it out into the world and seeing the reception to that stacked up against like getting a nice email?
1: It, it hits harder because yeah, you have to know a little bit about flesh and blood. But like, heroes are such a huge part of both player identity and game identity. And so to have such a large hand in shaping a class, which was like rumored forever, and so many people wanted there to be an assassin in flesh and blood, and to really come through with a flavorful representation of what it is to be assassin, one that is falling in a really nice place as far as gameplay goes, you know, we've had some of our heroes and supplemental sets in the past just be way too good format dominating. We've had some that are just sort of memes. This one seems to be falling right in the middle, which I'm really happy about. So yeah, it's just it's just hitting on another level. Also, I will say that I've, I had to take some steps too to just like understand that it can't be a hero everyone loves. Like it's really tough to have such a huge connection to it and to have some people just hate it, especially if they're people whose opinions you respect. But that's just the reality. Like it, it should be polarizing. It should be a thing that some people like, some people hate. And if the sentiment is overall positive, I had to really work to focus in on the overall sentiment yeah, uh, rather than like each individual instance of response.
0: I guess it depends on why they hate it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of it is just like not serving their vision, uh, their thematic vision of what the hero is. Some of it is that the play style is uh, sort of rooted in what I would term more classic interactive flesh and blood. So it is extremely hard to play long games. It's a little grindy, which is a thing that some people don't like some people love. So yeah, I think it's, uh,
0: but that's, so those aren't valid criticisms in terms of you did a bad job.
1: No, no. I mean, I, but people will present it that way. That's the thing, right? It's like,
0: I know basically what I'm getting at is that you need to be able to deconstruct Yep. where they are coming from and why they have those opinions. And then whether or not that is a thing that should make you feel bad or not.
1: Yep. Agree 100%. And it took me a couple of days to kind of find that space. Okay. Um, yeah. And once I did, I, I sort of wrapped my head around it, you know, and then like <laughs> one of my favorite things is that the day the hero was revealed, I, I tweeted, uh, I saw people saying it was the, the best hero in the entire game, the worst hero in the entire game. One that caused them to lose all respect for designers of the game. One that they thought was the most flavorful implementation of a class they'd ever see. There's just literally polar opposites if you go looking for it. And it's just like, okay, I guess we covered all the bases and things are good.
0: Yeah. People have a lot of opinions.
1: They do many opinions.
0: Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you get to have this experience uh i mean i I know that you've had it before in a smaller degree maybe but yeah
1: i you know with with magic my only influence was like small tweaks none of those cards were designed by me it's very different when it's like yeah the core of the card is what you made
0: right so this is an awesome time for you and that's rad and i yeah again i i hope that you you understand where the negative reactions are coming from and it's not necessarily a criticism on, you know, your ability or that you did a bad thing or whatever. It's like, they they just don't like it and that's okay. And in in a lot of instances, like you said, I mean, it can actually be a good thing, right? It's like, it is resonating with people in a lot of different ways, which I think is a net good thing.
1: Yeah. I I do ascribe to the idea that you'd rather have, you know, I, I think it's Mara who's talked a bunch about this, just like rather than having a card that when you test score it, it's all fives, you would rather have a card that's a bunch of ones and a bunch of tens. That's that's way better overall for engagement, for passion, for being a meaningful thing. Uh And also the fact that it's slanted way more towards tens than ones has made that a lot easier to swallow. Yeah, so.
0: exactly, exactly. And make sure that you keep track Uh, Not, not exactly, but you know, just, just know that you, you have more tens than ones. You know what I mean? I don't let, don't let one, one be worth as much as like 10 tens or something.
1: Yeah. Well, the opposite is true as well. I mean, don't get focused on the one ten and realize that everyone else is screaming ones at you in the YouTube comment section. I think that is Yes. equally as dangerous as we have seen.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I did not say that to you specifically cause I don't think you're going to have that problem, but
1: right. Very true. Uh,
0: you know, if I did think you were going to have that problem, I, I wouldn't even necessarily share it with you because I know you wouldn't follow it. <laughs> you know? Wouldn't be receptive to yeah, it. Exactly. So.
1: That's, that's the nature of that problem.
0: Yep. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're, you're not that person. So, I, I just wanted to focus in on the positive because this is a positive time for you. It should be a positive time. I'm um, I'm super stoked for you, man. This is great. And uh, it's just going to keep happening. So.
1: Yep. Yep. Awesome. Way, way more excited about the next set, which I can say nothing about. But that is that is the one I was on, like from the beginning. All aspects of it have my disgusting fingerprints all over it. <laughs> and and either people will love it or hate it. But I'm excited to see.
0: Well, at this point, you know that there are going to be people that have both. So <laughs> true. this is like playtesting for the real experience.
1: Yep. Very true.
0: Cool. I, I think that is it to my friends who are going to the RC. Good luck. Uh, you know, hope hope it is a fun time. Hope Pioneer is not miserable. Hope some folks break it and
1: be safe too. encourage others to be safe. It does matter. I know it feels like you're like the lone person in a sea of people concerned about others. It's still it still matters. And you can influence people by your decisions.
0: Yeah. I, I don't even know how much I'm supposed to like harp on this stuff. I could just, like this is the thing that I could have an entire podcast episode about, you know, I'm just going to say, I, I agree with Brian. Do that. I guess.
1: <laughs> Good enough. Game. Good luck!